What is up? Sixth man here being reactive and we are kind of straight to the to the cream at the top. I don't even know what uh, slogan that is, but I think I've, I've made it up on the spot. Uh, we're going to talk about the play-in games last night in the Eastern Conference as we saw the 9-10 the matchup and we saw the 7-8 matchup. So two really interesting games. Uh, joining me, we have House Lasku, we have Lancashire Land Beer and we have Salt Break. Let's get into the first matchup, which saw my last pick of the draft, the Charlotte Hornets go up against Bray's last pick in the draft, the Indiana Pacers. Pacers were at home. The Pacers come out with the win. So my team, well, I've already lost one of my teams. I'm down to two teams now. Uh, Pacers come out 144 to 117. Um, Bray, do you want any thoughts considering your team picked up with the win here? Yeah, so um, I, I I didn't manage to watch it live. I caught the highlights and I've, I've taken a look at the box scores and stuff. And from watching from watching the kind of condensed game, it looked like one team were like, no, no, we're a playoff team. We want to be in the playoffs. We're ready to be in the playoffs. And the other team went, we've had some injuries this season. We've, we've outperformed expectations. You know, everyone's a little bit hobbled. The last, the last part of the schedule's really been, really been tough for us. So we're, we're good. We'll, we'll see you guys next season. That's what it felt like. Like the Pacers wanted it, and the Hornets didn't. They were like, you know what? We don't want to get swept by the Sixers. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have, isn't it? Uh, there was one man who did end up watching it live. Ed, um, you said you wanted some thoughts about. You had some thoughts about the, uh, the earlier game. Um, so going in, uh, you had the Hornets, and I think there were, I mean, Charles had the kiss of death where he predicted that the Hornets were guaranteed to, to win the game. It's got his little um, buzzer as well. It's quite cool. But, yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it how they're really like going into the whole Charles guarantee thing. It's pretty cool. Like TNT is just awesome. Um, speaking of TNT, actually, during the broadcast, um, I think it was Greg Anthony was, uh, was on the broadcast. Shout out, Cole Anthony's dad. Pow, pow. Um, he spoke a lot during the game, the first half, about how Hornets won't get any, any paint touches. And then Kenny Smith went into it during the halftime where he spoke about how even with the paces, with their ball movement, it touches the paint at least once. There is some sort of paint presence and it helps them then generate a better shot. Now, what I picked up in the first half is in the first, like, when the first like set of possessions for the Hornets, they ran some plays for uh, Zeller. And you know what? It worked pretty well. They managed to get him a couple shots by the rim and they just managed to get some off the ball screens where cutters were moving and there was just, it was just some nice movement and they were able to get some easy shots up. And I thought, wait, why are they going to Zeller so much? Um, I mean, there's only about two or three possessions, but that's something I noticed. And then I think at one of those possessions, he just fumbled the ball and they never went to him thereafter. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. So I say that to say, compare that to the Pacers who, again, do have a little bit of a post presence and can, can drop the ball down to the paint. Who can, that can maybe create something. It's not the be all and end all, but it helps change the dynamic because on the Hornets, everything just felt like rushed three-pointers. They were able to like move the ball, ball around a little bit, but then take a three-point now with, uh, with a clock at 20 seconds or well, maybe not 20 seconds, about 15 seconds. I mean, like, you'd like to see a bit more cutting, a bit more boom, ball movement, a bit more screens, a bit more drives and kicks. There, there wasn't too much of that, and it felt very lethargic. And it, the Charlotte Hornets didn't know what they were doing offensively, and Pacers didn't have to struggle. There was no point where Charlotte made a run. I watched up to the third quarter, and there was no point where Charlotte went on a run 
where where they got a stop and then they got a uh, got a bucket that just didn't happen and Pacers were just so comfortable. Um, the Pacers did shoot the lights out. Where nowadays you do see people bringing up just the shooting stats, um, and I think at one point the Pacers had made about ten more threes or not, not ten. I think it was maybe about six or seven more threes than Charlotte did. But the thing the thing was, even if you were to include those extra threes for Charlotte, the Pacers would have still been up by five or six points. So in this situation, even take away the three-point shooting, there were points where Charlotte couldn't do anything offensively, and it was just so stagnant. There was just five guys around the corner waiting to shoot a freeze, and there was, it was just so easy for the Pacers. That, that, that's what I felt watching. It's a, um, a very good point, and I think Mars Bridges made in his post-game. He was like, they came out and they punched us in the mouth. And uh, Doug, Dougie McBuckets, 14 points in the first five minutes. Sabonis was really able to clear up space, um, either if it's on pin downs or it was a driving kick. And obviously, my boy, TJ McConnell, bringing the energy. You saw him diving on the floor. Um, he had four steals in the game. Sabonis had a nuts game, 14, 14 21, and 9. Uh, 20 of those were defensive rebounds, by the way. And also, just the last point I had on this game, uh, Brissett, who had a team high, uh, bearing in mind, eight players had, were in double figures to score, and uh, he hit a three. He was talking a lot of trash, and he said, get these bum asses out of here, um, referring to the Hornets. So, yeah. The thing about Sabonis is that he didn't particularly have a good game. It wasn't him doing most of I mean, the stats do jump out to you, but watching the game first off, he didn't do too much. He was very, I wouldn't say passive, but it was a lot more of his teammates and the others doing a great job. And that's also something I noticed watching, like, wow. Indy has some pretty decent others, like TJ McConnell's a really nice piece, as you mentioned. Dougie McBuckets, he can get you buckets. Um, but all three-point shooter, I wouldn't say buckets, buckets, but he, he's, a, he's a really good three-point shooter. So I really like the others, but maybe just because Charlotte was so bad, the others looked a bit better. Yeah, I mean, like you say about Sabonis, he took the most shots on the team, uh, but only by one. He, he took 15 shots. The next closest was Brissett, who took 14, but Brissett made 10 of his, and Sabonis only made seven. Like, you'll see start, some stars force that, and he didn't. He he got nine assists. You know, it's it's other guys making those shots, and him with 20, 20 defensive rebounds. Like, I don't even know how you do that. I think that's probably more props to their team as a whole because it means everyone's boxing out their man. And that's, that's probably just, just you know, the Pacers defense doing a bit of work there. But, uh, yeah, I think. The Hornets are gone. A uh, little bit of a, a note on Zella. He actually didn't miss in that game. He was 7-for-7, seven seven, Ed. So, interesting you picked up that, uh, that they didn't go back to him. They were out-hustled, out-played, out-rebounded and out-assisted. So, we say goodbye to Charlotte. Um, and the Indiana Pacers, go on, Ed. Uh, my non-playoff question is: There was one guy who wasn't playing for Indy. That was Miles Turner. What happens with Miles Turner now? No. Two guys weren't playing for Indy. Karis Levert wasn't. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, Karis Levert. Yeah, we know Karis Levert is still part of the long-term future. But what does the future hold for for Turner? I think I think I think they. I mean, I don't know what his contract situation is. I think that that depends. Let me just have a quick look. He's on four years and eighty, so it's. You know, it's it's twenty grand, twenty grand a year, uh, twenty million a year, even that's, twenty grand a year. Right, it's a low-paying contract. You might need to up that. Um, yeah, so he's so he's got two, two years left years on his contract, contract, and it's eighteen eighteen million a year, and that's why they haven't been able to trade him because that's a lot of money for a center. 
um, especially when you can find young guys who who run and gun, who work hard, um, who maybe don't average as many blocks, but still affecting shots. So, yeah, I think um, if they can move him, they will. But I don't know what if they'll get if they'll get much back. Uh, to be honest, um, maybe we'll see if if we see teams like the Lakers uh, doing really well or teams like Philly exactly. doing really well. Some you know a contender will go. We need some size to help deal with this. Let's pick up someone like Miles Turner. But um, you know, you think even if you, even if you're a contending team and you add Miles Turner, is that really going to stop AD or Embiid or who like it's, it's, you know? So there's arguments for and against. That's exactly what I was going to say. That popped in my head. Like that's a good point. If the big men do really do well in the playoffs, you can definitely see a team swinging and be like, you know, made his center. And I think a good comparison could be someone like Clint Capella. Maybe Clint Capella is a little bit better, but you saw Atlanta being like, you know, what? we do need a big man. Let's trade with Atlanta with um, Houston this, and get someone winning. So I, I think that's quite a. Gone. Yeah, this is this is Miles Turner and this is Clint Capella. Like Clint Capella has been so much better. Oh, it's a bit harsh. Um, it's not like he's he's if so I know a lot of people are putting um, Embiid and um, Jokic both on the first team which opens up an extra spot at centre so for, for all NBA voting so it'd be Embiid and Jokic on the first team then it would be um, Rudy Gobert on the second team and then probably Clint Capella the it would be on the third team he's I think he I think he's far and away the fourth best centre in the league um, maybe you could argue for Bam, but I think Capella's been really good. Well, let's wow. let's hope that Miles Turner doesn't have any money invested in all defensive team because I think he might be snubbed this year. Uh, yeah, which is which is crazy because he led the leading blocks. Anyway, 